This podcast is brought to you by the American Thoracic Society. We help the world breathe. Michael Lanspa, thank you for joining us in our Out of the Blue podcast. Today we're going to discuss an article by Dr. Baharan Zarabian entitled Liberation from Invasive Mechanical Ventilation with Continued Receipt of Vasopressor Infusions. I'm joined today by the lead author of the study, Dr. Baharan Zarabian, from the Department of Medicine at the University of Miami. Welcome and thank you for joining me. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the invitation. So your study asks an important question, namely, can I extubate patients who are still on vasopressors? What was your motivation for exploring this question? So I credit the idea and the initial question to the other senior authors on the paper, Dr. Gershengorn, Dr. Winch, and Dr. Iwashna. My first encounter with this question was via correspondence also published by AJRCCM in 2018 by Dr. Iwashna and colleagues. They similarly asked if it's safe to extubate patients receiving vasopressors in a single center ICU in Glasgow. Then neither an extubation protocol or formal SBTs were routinely used, and that decision was made at each attending's discretion. Our motivation to explore this question came from observing that many protocols we have to assess a person's readiness for extubation often mandate a resolution of shock, meaning maintaining an acceptable blood pressure without needing any vasopressor support. This criterion for readiness to undergo an SBT is found in institutional protocols across ICUs. But whether extubation while receiving vasopressors is associated with harm is still unknown, even though it can be a big part of our protocolized care. And what do you guys do at your hospital? What's your usual practice for extubation on vasopressors? So there isn't a usual practice. In fact, there's a lot of practice variation, which was also a big part of our inspiration to explore this question. I think some see vasopressors at any dose as a hard stop for an SBT. Meanwhile, maybe others prefer an overall assessment, not just about the absolute dose, but more so the trend and pressure requirements with other metrics for SBT readiness. And so they might feel more comfortable with extubating a person who still needs vasopressors. Yeah, when I saw the title of your paper, I kept thinking like, what an obvious question. Why hadn't this been explored before? And I was thinking about how much variation occurred within my own institution. Now you had mentioned in the paper in the introduction that several weaning protocols had advocated waiting until shock had resolved before extubating although a few of those protocols allowed for minimal vasopressors. Now, in your study, you categorized patients by low and high vasopressor receipt. How did you uh, choose your threshold? So our primary exposure had been to group all those extubated with vasopressors, irrespective of dose. And then our secondary exposure was to look at differences between low doses and high doses of vasopressors. How we defined those thresholds were based on two major considerations. First, our patient population was made up of four ICUs in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Similar to many other healthcare centers and ICUs, there is some protocolized care for ICU extubation. And part of that protocolized care includes a series of parameters that respiratory therapists can use to decide if a patient can be considered for a spontaneous breathing trial. One of those parameters is based on dose of vasopressors. So up to 0.1 micrograms per kilogram per minute of norepinephrine would not preclude anyone in their ICUs of having an SBT, so long as they meet other criteria based on adequate oxygenation, acceptable vital signs, mentation, and so forth. If the decision was made to extubate on higher doses of pressors, it would be done outside of this protocolized pathway and at the discretion of each ICU physician, but still not strictly prohibited. And so the 0.1 threshold was based on current practice at the ICUs that formed our study. 
The second reason why we chose this threshold was also informed by the cardiovascular SOFA score and that its highest category of cardiovascular dysfunction, which is defined based on vasopressor requirements, includes doses of epinephrine or norepinephrine of more than 0.1 um, micrograms per kilo per minute. Yeah, no, I think intuitively that threshold makes sense. And I like the fact that it also correlated with the SOFA scoring. You know, speaking of thresholds, you also, for your outcome, chose a outcome of reintubation within 96 hours. Why 96 rather than 24 or 48 or any other uh, choice? Why choose that specific threshold? Yeah, so the 96-hour threshold for reintubation came from the work already published in, in 2017 by Dr. Miltiadis and Dr. Wunsch, among others, where they report a reintubation rate of 10% among US ICUs. They also suggest a time window of 96 hours, which would capture reintubation essentially from extubation failure and less likely linked to a new cause of respiratory failure prompting reintubation. They found that about 90% of reintubations happen within 96 hours of extubation. And that was true across all ICU types, including surgical, medical, combined med surge, cardiothoracic, and different patient types over their 12-year study time period. So really based off of their already excellent work was how we decided on that threshold. Yeah, I thought your Kaplan-Meier curves were quite interesting where, at least for me, I was not expecting to see that uh, there would still be reintubation fairly late. Moving on to your, your study, you analyzed all adult ICU admissions over a five-year period or a little more than five years from those four different ICUs in Canada. And my understanding is you looked at all patients who were extubated, after having received vasopressors at some point while being intubated, which was about 6,000 patients. And about 12% of those patients were on vasopressors at the time of extubation. So tell me a bit about these 12%, these people on vasopressors. What were they like? How were they different from the patients who were not on vasopressors? Yeah, there were definitely some important characteristics that were different between patients weaned off of pressors compared to those that continued to receive them when extubated. The majority of our patients were weaned off pressors, which was 88.3% of our total cohort. Meanwhile, we had 721 patients, so 11.7% that were extubated while still receiving doses of vasopressors at any dose. This group had higher Apache 2 scores on day of ICU admission. They were older with a mean age of 61 years compared to 59 years among those off pressors. We also captured disease severity, not just at time of ICU admission, but also closest to time of extubation by extracting each person's SOFA score on the day before they were extubated and found that they had higher SOFA scores after excluding the cardiovascular component. Patients extubated with pressors were also more likely to be admitted into a surgical ICU. The difference in disease severity widened when stratifying vasopressors based on low and high doses. Patients receiving high doses were generally sicker, which we captured through, again, their Apache 2 score on a time of ICU admission and their SOFA scores on the day before extubation. The differences were unsurprising, but I was glad to see that most of the things that I was interested in or I would be interested to try to say, well, how are these differences were, were, were captured with the, uh, with the data that you guys presented. Let's move on to how you approached the actual question. How did you actually go about analyzing this data to answer whether or not it was safe to extubate patients on vasopressors? Yeah, so our, our approach was first to define extubation failure. And so our primary outcome was reintubation within 96 hours from first extubation attempt. We modeled risk of reintubation using a multivariable competing risk regression model where death before reintubation was the competing event. We started our model variables in advance based on clinical relevance, which included important demographic information like age and sex, but also captured disease comorbidities using the Elix-Hauser comorbidity index. Um, we included metrics for disease severity, both at time of ICU admission using the Apache 2 score and also disease severity on the day before extubation using a SOFA score. 
Other outcomes we were interested in included ICU and hospital length of stay, which again involved a multivariable competing risk regression model with death prior to either ICU or hospital discharge as a competing event. We also looked at mortality using a multivariable proportional hazards regression model adjusting for the same covariables. And then we looked at our primary and our secondary outcomes by first comparing our primary exposure, which again was pressures at all doses compared to those that had been weaned off entirely. And then again, repeated our analyses using our secondary exposure where we stratified pressures into low and high doses. I think that uh, that approach is extremely sound and uh, efficient given the data that's available. What, what did you find? Tell us, the, don't leave us in suspense here. Uh, what was the answer? Is it safe to extubate patients on vasopressors? Yeah, so we found that extubation while continuing to receive vasopressors, regardless of dose, was not in aggregate significantly associated with reintubation, but our confidence intervals were fairly wide. But when we stratified by dose, so those on high doses, they had an over twofold increased hazard of reintubation, as well as an increase in mortality and a longer ICU and hospital length of stay compared to those patients completely weaned off. This was different from patients on low dose vasopressors. It appeared they did fairly well, if not better. They were not at a greater risk of reintubation, but had a 31% lower hazard of mortality and also a shorter ICU length of stay, albeit without a difference in overall hospital length of stay. So to summarize, um, extubation high doses of vasopressors was associated with harm. Meanwhile, extubation on low doses was likely safe. I think this also lends credence to the thought that it's likely inappropriate to consider pressors as simply on or off when assessing extubation readiness. So you mentioned a bit of a dose response there, which I think is uh, interesting. Was there a similar dose response regarding some of your secondary outcomes like length of stay and mortality? Yeah, absolutely. So um, those that were extubated on low doses, we saw overall they had lower mortality and a shorter ICU length of stay, but no difference in overall hospital length of stay. And then no difference with reintubation again at that 96 hour time mark when we compare it to patients that were completely weaned off pressors. Patients, however, that were extubated on high doses of vasopressors, we found pretty much worse outcomes across all of our primary and secondary outcomes that we were interested in looking at. That part I suspect was probably unsurprising, but it's still very nice to see that at least with the low-dose vasopressors, it seems fairly safe. How did you deal with patients who died within that 96-hour observation window or patients who had a do-not-intubate order? So how we we dealt with patients that died within the 96-hour observation window was to incorporate it into our study design, mainly through our sensitivity analyses, and then also our choice of regression model. We used a competing risk model that accounted for death prior to reintubation as a competing event. And so if someone were to die and so ineligible for reintubation, we could model that cumulative incidence of reintubation in the presence of a competing failure event that would impede our event of interest. Not knowing exactly when patients had a DNI order was definitely a limitation. We also didn't have data to suggest reason for extubation, whether it was palliative, accidental, or planned. With regards to a do not intubate order, we could capture if patients had a DNI order by time of ICU discharge. But again, that time point during their ICU course where there was a change made to their resuscitation status, if it was after a reintubation event or before, we couldn't know. This limitation was what really informed two of our sensitivity subcohorts, the first of which excluded anyone that had a do not intubate order by time of ICU discharge. The second sensitivity subcohort excluded patients that died less than 24 hours from their first extubation attempt. So we could try to capture patients that may have had a DNI order shortly following extubation. I want to go back to, I guess, the observation that we, we noted that those patients on vasopressors are very different than those that are not receiving vasopressors, including some of the outcomes. 
you discussed this a lot in your paper. I was hoping you could discuss what your thoughts were about possible confounding by indication for those patients on vasopressors and higher dose vasopressors. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a valid concern. Just as you pointed out, these groups of patients were different. Patients extubated on pressors as a whole, again, had higher Apache 2 scores, higher differences in illness severity, even comparing higher doses of vasopressors to patients that have been completely waned off. The best way we could account for confounding by indication, probably from severity of illness, was to adjust for disease severity, both at time of ICU admission and then close to extubation. Yeah, I think that's a valid point if we try to make too much extrapolation out of the mortality or length of stay, but I think it still bears emphasis that even those on vasopressors in general, or at least low-dose vasopressors, still seem to have fairly low reintubation rates, irrespective of how we want to deal with that confounding issue. I'm kind of interested in what your thoughts would be about, I guess, the potential mechanistic or physiologic explanation for how vasopressors might affect extubation. I mean, when we take that breathing tube out, we're going to have changes in pressure and changes in vascular resistance. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on the potential physiology of extubation and vasopressors? Certainly. So, I mean, we asked ourselves, like, why don't we extubate if still needing vasopressors? And that formed the bulk of our discussion. What would be the hemodynamic consequences of extubation with pressors compared to off-pressors? And why we would think the former would contribute to extubation failure? Um, in most instances, regardless of vasopressors, we know that the transition from invasive ventilatory support to spontaneous breathing involves hemodynamic changes that often necessitate an adequate cardiac reserve, mainly an increase in venous return, greater preload, and left ventricular afterload, all of which would increase cardiac workload. How continued vasopressors might contribute or worsen these hemodynamic changes isn't completely clear. When hemodynamic changes during shock cause worsen outcomes versus when shock becomes a proxy for severity of illness also isn't always clear. I think the main hesitation to extubate while receiving any dose suppressors stems from the concern that the underlying disease process prompting intubation, whatever that might be, has yet to resolve. And so naturally people might be skeptical about doing an SBT if there hasn't been a resolution of the underlying indication for mechanical ventilation. I was just thinking when I was reading the paper about my own practice, I was thinking about how I've often extubated patients who are still on lower dose vasopressors, although I'm fairly inconsistent about how I apply that. I feel that I probably extubate those patients when I have a sense that the trajectory for vasopressors is stable or decreasing. Now, I know your study doesn't really explore this, but I'm curious whether or not you or any of your co-authors have like kind of a clinical sense about the trajectory of these patients at these ICUs that, you know, what, what they're like before they get extubated. Yeah. So, I mean, in short, we, we didn't have a, a good, strong sense of their trajectory, but we did include a separate sensitivity analysis based on consecutive duration of vasopressor infusions that overlapped with their first mechanical ventilation event. So we performed three additional sensitivity analyses based on a consecutive duration of vasopressors for six, 12, and 24 hours. But I can definitely appreciate why that's an important question, because that decision of whether to excavate with pressors usually goes with an assessment of their vasopressor trajectory. Unfortunately, we just couldn't account for that trajectory in our analyses. Yeah, I would encourage, I guess, any reader who's really interested in diving deep, the, uh, this paper has just a wealth of information in the supplemental material and has a lot of additional analyses that are definitely worth diving into. You know, I know we, we always say this after uh, the end of every paper that we always need more data or more studies. And I know, especially for this issue of confounding, we probably need, you know, more prospective data. But I'm curious whether or not you or any of your co-authors have changed your practice, your approach with regard to extubating on vasopressors as, uh, as a result of your research. 
Yeah. I mean, I, it's hard to speak on behalf of the other co-authors if their practice has changed, but my impression had been from the get-go that most were not opposed to extubating patients on pressors. In fact, the SBT guidelines at the four ICUs that formed our cohort don't exclude patients from having an SBT if still on low-dose pressors. I think the benefits be, um, being fewer sedation days by shortening the amount of time on mechanical ventilation and thereby also lessening potentially the need for pressors might also be a reason why people feel inclined to extubate on lower doses of pressors. Well, I know that this study has reassured me at least with my thoughts about the potential safety of extubating at least on low-dose vasopressors. I think this will conclude our Out of the Blue podcast. I'd like to thank our guest, Dr. Zarabian, for a phenomenal discussion of her study on liberation from mechanical ventilation while on vasopressors. It's an extremely well-done study that answers a very important question. And I know there's still some uncertainty, but I know I will feel more confident in the future about uh, the safety of extubating patients on vasopressors. Uh, we need more studies like this that answer these clinically important questions. Uh, congratulations on the study and thank you, Dr. Zarabian. Thanks for having me. This is Michael Anspa for the American Journal of Respiratory and Critical Care Medicine. <laughs>